word to you. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples meditate on a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord mocks them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of Yahweh. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance, and the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like a potter's vessel. So now, O kings, show insight. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. You may be seated. That um, psalm, Psalm 2, makes clear to us um, what is wrong with the world, what we live in today. Sin's curse has left mankind in a perpetual state of rebellion against God. Despite all of the differences that you see in the world in terms of race, and language, and culture, and traditions, education, all of those sorts of things, there is nonetheless a sameness among all people. The one thing that unites the people of the world is simply this. Apart from grace, this world's people are united in determination not to be ruled by God. Why do the nations rage? Why are so many people thinking on and plotting vain things? Well, it's simply because the world's mantra is we will not be ruled by God. We, we will not have this man who is God, this, this Jesus, this king to rule over us. And that is the, sort of the big picture that we want to keep in mind as we turn once more to Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew 10, um, where we hear the words of Yahweh's anointed king himself, the Lord Jesus. Jesus, the king, uh, has come to save his people from their sins. He's come to save his people out of their rebellion against God. He's come to bring peace between holy God and the rebels that we are by birthright, Jesus, the scripture says, is, the, is the, the prince of peace, Isaiah 9. Jesus is the one who brings peace on the earth, as the angels sang in Luke 2. But to bring this peace, he must first bring 
a sword. And this sword of the gospel divides. Be sure of this. The gospel divides um, the sinner from his sin. This is a work of grace. And certainly the gospel deals with man's besetting problem, which is his separation from God because of sin. So Jesus speaks of this sword now in verse 34 of Matthew 10. He says, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake, note that, will find it. How is it? that the one who is the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus, says to his people, his first followers, and then us, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, verse 34 in Hebrew culture is known as a mashal. A mashal is a proverb, but it's also a paradox. It's something that really sounds contradictory and yet is true. And it's meant to surprise the listener. It's meant to cause the hearer to sit up straight and pay close attention. Are you paying attention? To not be among those who think, well, I think I've heard this before, you know. Um, Don't do that. You're meant to be shocked by this. And ask yourself, how can this be so? What, what, what does this even mean? Because it seems so contradictory. And yet it's true. Well, remember, Jesus has been telling his closest followers that the um, road they will travel as his followers actually will cost them. Loyalty to Christ will cost them. Yes, salvation is freely given uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in the work of Christ alone. More on that later. But be sure of this, a life of loyalty to King Jesus is always costly to his people. There's simply no getting around that. This is an essential reality for those who truly Love and follow the king in a world that is united in rebellion against the king. And this tension, this gospel tension, if you will, shows up in all manner of relationships. And God comes to us in his word this morning and he says, look, um, let's just acknowledge the obvious, Christian, of what you're experiencing. Even in your own family relationships, you feel the weight of this. It isn't just that loyalty to Jesus may at some point cost you earthly security and comfort in in kind of a general sense. It isn't just that it may cost you your reputation in the eyes of worldly people. 
the highest and most likely cost of all will be paid in the form of disrupted family relationships. Anybody want to say amen to that? Amen. I mean, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll struggle to make this practical, okay? This is the essence of, of, of being a Christian. Allegiance to Christ itself creates an essential division, okay? The sword is an instrument of warfare. Now, the king has come to wage war. He has come to defeat the works of the enemy. And he is now waging war against sin in God's people, God's image bearers, in God's world. And the thing of it is, friend, is before the king can bring you his peace, this peace with God, he must trouble your heart. And so I beg you to consider this. Has your heart been so troubled? Has your conscience been troubled to the point that you realize, not people in general, but you personally, have been born in rebellion against God, in ignorance or deliberately? And this sin, this rebellion separates you from God. And there is no hope for you within yourself to remedy this problem. You need help from outside of yourself. Call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Has your conscience been troubled to the point that you would not only see yourself for who you are, but you would see Jesus as the all-sufficient one that he truly is? God, born into humanity to live out the holy life you are failing to live. And then to take that holy life in his humanity and offer it at Calvary's cross, shedding his own blood, the only blood that can atone for sin, your sin. Has your conscience been troubled to the point that you would run to this Jesus as your savior and be reconciled to God? Be forgiven of your sin and to have a share in real life. Jesus is alive today. He's risen again, amen? And he, and he gives a share of this victory now and for all eternity, as we'll see. And the thing of it is, is when, you're, when your heart has been so conquered by our gracious King, so that you now have peace with God and you know that, you find that you are, without even intending to be, at war with those who are yet in rebellion against God. Notice in your Bibles the repetition. Just look at the text, verses 34 and 35. Do not think, I did not come, for I came to set, in other, in other words, there's no option here for you to be a follower of Christ and have this not be true. 
You say, well, I, 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 I'm, I'm looking for the Christianity where you get along with everybody in the world and then you also fit in with the church folks. Um, there is no such Christianity. This cannot be ignored by you and you still be a follower of Jesus. Do not think that, says Jesus. That option of, of ultimate peace with unbelieving family members um, says Jesus, is, is simply not on the table. And so just be encouraged by this. Do you mind being encouraged? Then we'll go back to the other stuff. Um, you know, if you think, well, I, I, if I'm really careful this Thanksgiving, when everybody gets together, um, and, and I just really think through how I relate to my unsaved family members around the table, I, I'll, I'll never feel the difference between, between me and, and, and them. It'll, it just won't be so obvious. Um, no, says Jesus, don't, don't think that. Um, the very fact that you humbly give thanks to the one true God, uh, who, the giver of all good things, that in and of itself separates you from those who are apart from God. In fact, to me, Thanksgiving is the most ironic holiday for the atheist. Who are you thankful to? I'm just spitballing here, but the gospel's disruptions of family relationships is inevitable, inevitable. Verse 35, for I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. The term set against means to split into opposing parties. Who did this? You? No, Jesus did this. Jesus came to do this. You didn't create the division. And Jesus is quoting from Micah 7, the prophet Micah lamenting uh, what was happening in Israel as a result of everyone living for themselves and not God. Um, Every kind of relationship um, is put out of joint in that kind of society. I mean, just take a look around you in the culture and see what happens when everybody gets to pick their own primary loyalty. And then expect that those who worship self and those who worship God will get along just fine. Jesus says it's not possible. The, the pressure points of that are myriad. And so here in Matthew 10, Jesus says, look, this disruption of family relationships by the gospel is part of the essence of, of the Christian life. It's, it's inevitable. But, but listen, don't think fatalistically about it. It's not inevitable in, in that fatalistic sense. It's also purposeful in God's economy. Uh, the gospel's disruption of family relationships is purposeful, purposeful. Please pay attention to this because we're, we're going in a, in a direction now. It is foolish to try to manufacture a false peace for the sake of family relationships when they're disrupted by your allegiance to Jesus. The king is telling you this won't be possible. To do so is to work against the very purposes of God for his people. 
Jesus is saying, look, this, this costly, painful, unavoidable disruption in the relationship is something I came to set in motion. I came to do this very thing. That's what makes this statement, this mashal, so shocking. We've, we've heard it before, but we're meant to be shocked by this. How is it that the Prince of Peace, the one who says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, those who pursue peace, how is it that he now says he intends for there to be an absence of peace among people. There there will be this division between those loyal to him and those whose loyalties lie elsewhere. It's especially stunning when you consider Luke's um, account of this. Luke 12, Jesus says, Do you think I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. Think of what the Lord is saying here. Um, So profound is this gospel disruption in some family relationships that even among those living under the same roof will be very aware of the tension and the cost that comes with loyalty to Jesus. And the thing of it is, is this gospel sword is not simply at work during the infrequent times that, you know, extended families get together, you know, that sort of thing. Um, It is a daily burden for many of you in this room. It's the daily burden of the king's daughters married to unsaved husbands. It's the daily burden of any of the king's men who who are married to wives yet in rebellion against the king. It's the daily hurt of parents whose adult children reject Christ by choosing which truths they intend to embrace and which truths they intend to disregard. In other words, they're worshiping a Jesus of their own imagining. It's the daily difficulty of parents of little ones who must decide every day whether this home will be Christ-centered or child-centered. Are you hearing this? And if this is happening to you, and it is if you're following the Lord and you have unsaved family members, you know all about this stuff, um, be comforted. Jesus is saying, look, it's inevitable. You didn't create it. I created it. I came to do this. And and it's also purposeful. Uh, but, But listen, if you are here this morning and you find that you've been trying to create a false peace between opposing loyalties... Um, Let me just encourage you, um, be be warned by that. You you must cease to do so. Young people, and you guys decide what that means, but but young people, listen, um, those of you who think you're going to go missionary dating and and you're going to eventually lead that young man or that young woman to faith in Christ, um, do you understand how foolish this is? You've already shown that unsaved partner that they are a bigger deal in your life than Christ. 
Why would they listen to you and turn in repentance to Christ as Savior and King when you've already shown them that to you, Christ is less vital than is their relationship with you? I, I, I apologize that this is not practical. This peace, says Jesus, is not only impossible, um, like, like banging your head against a wall hoping the wall will move, you know. Um, th- this division you experience and feel so heavily at times is actually part of God's purpose for you in your family. So don't shrink back. D- don't buckle under the strain of it all. Trust your king and follow him closely. Walk in the spirit. Or Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16, um, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Now let me just, um, you're still listening. Let, let me just, as an aside, which doesn't count against my time, just as an aside, offer a, a clarification lest there be confusion here. Um, The division is not something you try to create with your behavior. It's like you don't have to do anything. Just be loyal to Jesus. Uh, It's automatically going to happen in response to your Christ-centered life. This disunity is not to be the result of you looking at that unsaved family member with disgust, treating her with contempt, you know, giving them, you know, a, a coldness, a, a kind of a judgmental disposition. In fact, you are no martyr if as a Christian you're unkind and, and, and judgmental that way, cold that way, uh, and they dislike you. Uh, they dislike you because you've become unlikable. There's nothing Christ-like about that. Doesn't it not help us to remember that but for God's grace, we would yet be in rebellion against the king? Does it not help us remain faithful under the strain of all of this in some of our families to be reminded that, you know, the only thing different is that our souls were invaded by the kindness of God in Jesus Christ? So we're to love our enemies, and yet we're reminded this morning that we, who's an enemy? Well, it, it's someone who's opposed to the gospel, the gospel in you. We love our enemies, do good to them relentlessly, don't hate them, and as you do so, just be aware that this is, this is, this is to be expected. You're, you're, you're not a special case in all of this. It's nothing you've done that's wrong. This division is inevitable, and, it, and it's purposeful. Uh, it's an essential division, and, and that essential division always leads to an essential decision. You have choices to make now about what you do with this division in your family. Look, look at verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What is Jesus saying? Listen, if, if you're more intent 
on pleasing your family than pleasing Christ, um, you must change course. A Christian's love of family must never push Jesus into the background. In other words, human affections must not overpower our affections for Christ. And every time we feel within us, we're, we're paying the cost of this intentional, deliberate division. Um, it, it, it's a reminder to us, friends, that there is a day coming when one day that division will be irreversible. What was the gospel warning we heard in Psalm 2? So now, O kings, show insight. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Have you taken refuge in him? In Jesus? So, so the division and, and the disunity in uh, your family caused by the gospel is actually meant to be a warning to the unbelieving family members that judgment is coming. And you say, well, I've never explained it to him that way. You don't have to. No, it wouldn't be a wrong thing to do so if the Lord opens that kind of opportunity, but you don't have to. One day, says Jesus, there will be two in one bed and one will be taken away in judgment, the other spared, Matthew 24. And we will get to Matthew 24, don't worry about it. Two will be in one workplace, one will be taken away in judgment, the other spared. One day Jesus will say to some, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is your future, Christian. Amen? And to others he will say what? Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Does that not help temper the reaction we might have when we feel this tension in our family relationships? There, there is an ultimate and irreversible separation of God's judgment that is coming. And so we're not meant to try to hide the division. It's meant to be noticed. It's meant to be felt by them. Don't, don't do everything you can think of to disguise the gap for the sake of a false peace. Because the feeling that person has of not being right with you is meant to alarm them to the reality that they are not right with God. And they've got limited time to turn to Christ. And so th th your decision in this is essential. It well may be one of the greatest evangelistic tools God gives you. You say, well, it's so costly. 
It's so awkward. It seems to create so much trouble. Don't think you can have it any other way. I came to do this, says Jesus. If you hide the difference, (laughs) the division uh, between yourself and them, what would that look like? Well, we just won't pray before the meal when they're in our home because when, when we, whenever we do that, it just kind of weirds them out. It creeps them out, and, and, it, and it's all very awkward, and, and so we, we just won't do that. We won't mention God's truth to the little ones, the grandkids, because, you know, her husband, you know, his wife, they, they just, they don't, they don't respond real well to that. I guess we'll go ahead and skip church on the Lord's Day for the entire Youth baseball season, we don't want the kids to think they're not important too. Listen, if you hide the essential division between loyalty to Christ and loyalty to self, if you try to create a false peace, a compromise, who is compromised? You. And worst case scenario, the gospel a person's understanding of the gospel, what it means to be living in allegiance to the king is also compromised. And, and you know, you'll, you'll be hiding the very thing that the Lord may use to bring that family member to repentance. Jesus equates this decision with the death of self. Look at verse 38. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Now, Jesus' first followers would not have been thinking of Calvary when they heard their master say this, but they, uh, they knew all about living under the thumb of, of the Roman Empire. They, they knew all about crosses, crucifixion. A few years before Jesus taught his disciples this, there was a a Jewish rebellion against Rome in Judea down south. Um, The Romans dealt with that. Um, The way the Romans dealt with any kind of rebellion with absolute cruelty and no mercy. 2,000 Jewish fighters were crucified. Um, Their crosses lined the streets of Judea. 2,000. Do you think these guys knew what Jesus meant when he spoke of taking up a cross? Jesus is telling his followers straight up that this is the inevitable reality of following him. This absolutely involves the the death of self. And by the way, to be worthy of him, you might think, well, who who could possibly be worthy of Christ? He simply means a, a willingness to follow and obey him. To live for Christ is to die to self. It's costly then in that most profound sense. William Hendrickson in his commentary on Matthew says this. He says, he says, bearing a cross after Jesus became a symbol of willingness to endure pain, shame, and persecution for his sake and for his cause. And why did I emphasize those words? For his sake and for his cause. Because in the text this morning, 
Jesus is not talking about suffering in, in general. Your, your arthritis is not your cross to bear. Um, although it's, it's terrible, I, I get it. I mean, your grouchy boss, you know, who has really different ideas of what it means to work hard, um, is not your cross to bear. Neither is your cancer diagnosis, as much as that involves real suffering. Jesus is referring specifically to the cost of truly following him, that the suffering, the shame, the death of self that is incurred by those who love and follow Jesus in a world full of people who do not love nor follow Jesus. Does that make sense? You have time for a quick story? It's going to happen anyway. I always ask that just to know where you stand on it, but um, there's a lady in our community whose campaign signs you see all over the place these days. Um, Her name is Yasmin Harris, and I met with her a few weeks ago and and very quickly became more interested in her testimony than um, politics, and she explained to me how she grew up, um, in her words, very Muslim, her, her parents escaped the um, Islamic Revolution in Iran in the late 1970s, raised her and her siblings in California, and um, again, very Muslim. Um, a friend invited her to youth group, and by God's good providence, her parents were okay with that. And so she, she goes to youth group. Long story short, she meets Jesus, meaning that she... Um, is born again, repents of her sin, and, and embraces Christ as her Savior. And, and um, she, she told her parents, hey, I've, I've become a Christian. And her parents said, no, you haven't. We're, we're Muslim. You're Muslim. Um, don't ever say that again. And anyway, she eventually was kicked out of her house. Um, by God's grace, a Christian family took her in for a little while and let her live with them. Then her dad had a heart attack, and in that crisis, she's invited back into the home. And she wasn't all preachy or anything like that. She just quietly lived out the way the Lord wanted her to relate to her family members. And her parents would not allow her to get baptized. And she honored the authority of her parents until her 18th birthday, which just happened to fall on a Saturday. And on that Saturday, her church opened its doors <laughs> so she could be baptized. And her mother showed up unannounced. And rather than being, you know, hustled away, she's welcomed in by the pastor. Long story short, her mother eventually came to faith in Christ. Her dad eventually, you know, survived the heart attack and, and years later came to faith in Christ. And, and the thing, and I mention that simply because it, it illustrates that, that this, this costly division between Christians and unsaved family members may become the very thing the Lord uses to bring them to repentance. So don't hide the division. Don't try to make a false peace just for the sake of, of, of life being easy. Any of you who are married right now to unsaved spouses know all about this. Many of you, have, have you not felt the, 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 the awkward stares, 
the, the, seeing the eyes rolling when people thought you weren't looking. And all you got to do is, is try to speak the truth with some gentleness about the issues of our day. Oh, how they will laugh. Oh, how they will get angry. This death of self business is real, isn't it? And Jesus wants his disciples to know these essential costs. There, there's, there's this essential basic division that, that, that leads to an, an essential decision for you. Um, are you with him or not? Well, how do you end something like this? Um, notice with me that this decision you make is reminding you that you're living toward an essential declaration. Look at verse 39. He who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. The word life here is simply referring to self. Uh, When you lose self in following Christ, and by that I mean sinful self, self that was separated from God. When, when you lose self in following Christ, how many of you know you're, you're given the best life possible? You, you just are. Didn't Jesus say that in the Beatitudes? Blessed are those. Blessed are you. you know, happy are those who, who know their sins have been forgiven, who know that they're right with God. Who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness and find this in Christ and are satisfied. They have a relationship with God. They don't just know about God. The most joyful people on planet earth are those who know they're right with God. And every day is a purposeful day because it's a day in which you're being made more like Jesus. Jesus. And you're representing him in his strength to others, to to those who need Jesus. So let's just thrill at this promised blessing that Jesus gives us here in verse 39. What, What a declaration this is. As you trust Christ... As you are truly following him by by walking in the way that is spelled out to you in his word, in the power of the Holy Spirit, not not just in your own strength, gutting it out, there is not only a wellness, a joy, a happiness now, uh, but there is a future awaiting you uh, that your best imagination cannot fathom. What really matters Eternity is for you, Christian, just around the corner. Just around the corner. You say, well, I don't know if I believe that. I'm still fairly young. Listen, um, that's simply because you don't have a frame of reference. Last weekend, I wasn't here. I was at a funeral for a, a dear man, a pastor, who, who was eight. God gave him 88 years. And, and you know what? Um, 88 years for him went by really fast. Life is short. It's like a vapor the scripture says. You're living toward eternity. This is the king's essential declaration. He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. And and if you want to know what that looks like, you just look to Jesus, says the author of Hebrews. Um, 
Jesus did not exempt himself from the elements of his earthly ministry that were, that were difficult. Um, he actually moved toward lepers who smelled so badly it'd make a gag. And Jesus endured the, the, the mocking and the snickers and worst from his own family members initially in response to him identifying himself for who he truly is. He endured the excrucia, you know, the, the cross, not for the joy of those circumstances, the scripture says, but for the joy that was set before him. Be, but because enduring that in faithfulness to the Father and for the Father's glory, you and I have a share in this eternal joy with him. Well, that's it. Let's pray. Father, take your word and do for us what only you can do. By, by the Holy Spirit, would you implant it in our hearts, Lord? Would you, would you help us to see areas where we have been engaged in self-preservation, as your people, maybe trying to create a false peace with those with whom we, we simply cannot be at peace with. Lord, would you, would you by your spirit show us where we have maybe been self-assertive? We've misunderstood this sword that has come and, we, and we've been a bit belligerent and rough with family members who, who simply need to know that grace and truth work in harmony when they're found in you. So Lord, we pray that you would help us with this. We pray that we would be increasingly a people who know what it is to be salt and light in the most difficult situations for some of us right in our own families so that you would be glorified, so that your kingdom would grow. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name.